and I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you have a Bible and would like to turn with me to the book of Philemon, and uh, not Philippians, uh, and uh, we will be reading the, the whole chapter here and continuing our sermon series. Uh, Philemon is a book that I think oftentimes uh, gets overlooked, and not, not many sermons on the book of Philemon. And, uh, and I think that's a shame. It's a, it's a beautiful book. It's a special letter Paul wrote. And it's, it's different than any other any book in the, in the New Testament, uh, in the Bible t- altogether. And, uh, and it is um, a joy to, to read it and to proclaim it to you today. Uh, just a, a little context that we're talking about. Um, Philemon was a, uh, a convert of Paul. He, he met Paul in Ephesus. And uh, through Paul's teaching, he, um, he saw his need for Christ and converted to Christianity in Ephesus, though Philemon himself was from Colossae. He goes back to Colossae um, and would have been part of the congregation Paul was writing to in the book of Colossians. Um, he was a wealthy man and a patron of the, the church of Colossae and a faithful brother. And then we're going to encounter uh, Onesimus, who we heard about briefly when we studied the book of Colossians, um, who was a runaway slave. And I think part of the reason Philemon is often overlooked is because it deals with uh, a runaway slave and a slave owner, um, and, uh, and people shy away from, from the topic. And so we're going we're gonna to kind of unpack that a little bit um, and see what God would have for us today in our culture and our time as we uh, discuss this this. Um, this short letter. It's 25 verses. We're going to read it in its entirety. Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house. Grace to you and peace from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake I prefer to appeal to you, I, Paul, an old man and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus. I appeal to you for my child, Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. For this perhaps is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but now much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it to say nothing of your owing me, even your own self. 
Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I'm hoping that through your prayers, I will be graciously given to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you, and so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, and my, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. And that's where we'll conclude our reading. <clears throat> Again, um, Philemon, uh, being a, a wealthy man in, in Colossians, like uh, in Colossae, I, I, I think of it this way that um, at some point, like when did Onesimus run away? So I guess that's the question I'm trying to answer here. When did Onesimus run away? We don't know. We don't know when. We don't know how long he was gone. We just know that Onesimus was a slave, a bondservant of uh, Philemon, and he ran away. I like to think of it um, that prior to conversion, Philemon's conversion, uh, Onesimus ran away. And then Philemon becomes a Christian and becomes a leader in his church. And then Onesimus runs away uh, to Rome where Paul was imprisoned and, uh, and, uh, and somehow runs into Paul in prison. So whether Onesimus got imprisoned himself or he heard about Paul and sought him out, um, and, uh, and it was in prison that Onesimus saw his need for a savior and converted to Christ. And, uh, and that changed everything. And so, uh, but, but what, we, what we see here is a book written into a culture uh, with, and deals with culture, but doesn't, doesn't go strong enough for some of us, like why didn't he say certain things with regards to bond servants or slavery um, <clears throat> and how Paul approached this to Philemon. And so we have to understand something about the gospel and something about ourselves is that we are all products of our culture and oftentimes we are unaware of how much our culture is in us and how much we buy into our culture. And the gospel comes in and transforms us and as we begin to unpack God's word and who God is and what he says and what the gospel says, it begins to break down the culture and reveal the truth. And so the principles that Paul writes in here um, are the princi very principles to promote emancipation of all slaves. Uh, he doesn't come right out and say slavery is a sin and evil and nobody should have it. But he said, if you understand these truths, how can you look at your brother as a slave? How could you look at another human being lesser than, as lesser than you? And so he lays forth a, a strong principled foundation for it, but he does it in a way that um, he's acknowledging the faith and the faithfulness of Philemon. And so I, uh, I think it's important that we see that he doesn't take on a tone of activism and he doesn't go with the political approach. He goes, I'm going to speak to the heart and I'm going to talk about the gospel. And, uh, and that's how I'm going to approach this. And he has confidence that Philemon is going to respond appropriately uh, with what is implied, though not directly stated. And I think uh, that we can, in confidence, say today that Philemon responded positively. And most, uh, my biggest evidence for that is that his book, the letter, is recorded for us. And the early church didn't say, well, this guy was disobedient to Paul, so either we write another letter to tell everybody how he failed 
or we can preserve it as is because Philemon lived out the gospel. And with what Paul says about Philemon at the beginning, I think we can be confident that Philemon was indeed a, a loving brother in Christ um, and abided by Paul's requests. <clears throat> but again, um, when we come to the issue of slavery in the Bible is different than the slavery that we encountered in our American history. Um, throughout history, at any given time, slavery always has existed. And, uh, and it still exists in many forms today. Uh, in different cultures and in uh, the, the Hebrew culture, the bond servant slave was if you were impoverished and you could not afford your bills, you could go to a wealthy patron and say, can I sell myself to you as a slave and serve you um, for a certain period of time to pay off my debt or to be provided for? And in the Old Testament, we see a bond servant slave who goes uh, in such a manner if they um, commit to seven years and after the seven years is done and they love their master and want to stay with their master, they can pierce their ear as a symbol of, I choose freely to stay with my master as their slave. Why? Because uh, when the Bible talks about slaves, those who own our masters, that they treat them with respect and honor and dignity and that um, when they do, there are then times where someone is better off being cared for by a wealthy patron than they would be uh, without. So there's that case. Uh, they'll also talk about Roman slavery, where Rome would go throughout the empire and destroy um, and take down different cultures and then take back different people uh, to, be, to be their slaves throughout. And, uh, and so it was a conquered people. Uh, in the scriptures, in, the, in this case, even with Onesimus, we see that it's, uh, it's, it's different from the American slavery where none of the slavery that we're talking about in the scriptures has to do with, a, with an ethnic group uh, like it was in American history um, where a certain people group was considered less than human. Uh, in, in, in the biblical time period we're talking about, they're talking about just, it, it is a position or a caste position, but it had nothing to do with saying this group of people is less human than another group of people. Um, and oftentimes, um, slaves were treated with a lot of respect and care, and, and we see that in Joseph's story, where Joseph was sold into slavery, um, not because of a, him being of a specific ethnic group, but because his bro brothers were jealous and said, well, we're gonna get rid of him and make some money with it, and he was elevated in, in Potiphar's house and uh, as a slave being in charge of everything. So we, we see a, a lot of different nuances to the, the term slavery and, uh, and bondservant there. Um, but this is Roman culture, Rome rules. Roman law uh, dictates what's happening all throughout the empire. And Paul's speaking into that situation. And he knows what it is because he's a Roman citizen. And he knows that Philemon lives in Rome. And it's good to be reminded that not everything that's legal is moral or good. And, uh, and, and we have to consider that, that, um, that at times that um, there are things that might fall within a legal category that isn't what God calls us to, that God calls us to even higher standard than the law. And it's good to remember that no matter what laws are legislated, we can't transform a heart to, uh, to goodness and to, uh, to truth based on a law. So laws themselves don't make things moral or immoral and don't make someone holy or unholy. They're just laws. 
um, and uh, they maybe benefit the whole, but they don't transform the heart the way the gospel does and how God calls us to. And even as we read through um, the Old Testament and we see the law that God gave, uh, gave us, we see even there that the law was inadequate to transform our hearts, that God needed to send us a savior because the law is not sufficient. Faith has to be and, and encouraged. And we also see that even though there, we may have some rights, it's not always appropriate to exercise our rights. So Philemon is a Roman citizen, a wealthy man who had a house, who had servants and slaves, who had the right to be the slave owner uh, under the law. But Paul is saying just because you have that right and that you could choose to kill Onesimus because he ran away from you, I'm gonna ask you to do something different. That's your right as a Roman citizen. But should you live that out? not according to the gospel. And if you're a genuine believer, you should apply that. And one other uh, thing that I learned in, in, in looking at this is, is maybe a little bit about Paul himself. So we have Paul, we have Philemon, we have Onesimus. Paul, we know, is a Roman citizen. And, uh, and he's, uh, there's, uh, in Acts, he's asked by a Roman soldier, a Roman soldier says, I, uh, that the Roman soldier paid for his citizenship. Did you pay for yours? And Paul says, no, I was born a Roman citizen. So Roman citizenship is a lot different than U.S. citizenship. If you're born in America, you become a citizen. And uh, in Rome, you had to be born to citizens in order to be a citizen. And citizenship was, was different. So there are those in the Roman Empire who were Roman citizens and their children are Roman citizens. There are those who paid for their citizenship. Um, and uh, when they pay for that, that citizenship, they would uh, have a, a certain status based on how much money they had and how much they paid. Um, and uh, but that was very costly to pay for your citizenship and then there was a term that when I first read it and you can ask Cindy I was like man this guy's using these big words and why is he always using these big words um, and uh, then I'm like well it's actually an important word so I'm going to share with you a, a word I wasn't familiar with and so if you knew it you, I, I was ignorant of it but uh, it's manumission manumission is another way of someone becoming a citizen of Rome, uh, a manumission is when a slave works hard and is respected and loved by their master that their, their owner could say to them, you are freed with citizenship. It's very rare for a Roman to consider a slave so highly that they would say you are freed and now you are also a citizen and your children then are born a citizen. With Paul being a Jew born of the tribe of Benjamin, uh, <clears throat> he had to come from either his parents purchasing citizenship or possibly his family were slaves who worked very hard and served very loyally to their masters and were manumitted into citizenship. So it would have been his, you know, somebody in his line. But that would be the only two ways Paul could have been born a citizen of Rome. And so when we think about it, if in fact, and it's church tradition according to Jerome, that Paul's parents were manumitted, um, <clears throat> they were freed slaves, and, and therefore Paul has citizenship. But if that is true, uh, 
it really shapes Paul's words when he talks about slaves, masters, and how the interaction should take place, and coming not from someone speaking into a situation he was out of, but through his family experience. Uh, knowing the injustices that all that carries on, but also knowing those who are faithful to the Lord and serve their masters as unto the Lord that are rewarded, that God rewards them in greater ways than any man can. So, um, <clears throat> keeping those in mind, that's why I think a little bit why this letter, of all letters that Paul may have written to individual persons, that this letter stands out a little bit differently. So, uh, with that said, that's a, a lot of introduction. Paul begins by recognizing Christian faithfulness in Philemon. <clears throat> he writes to Philemon, to Aphia, and Archippus. It's believed that Aphia was Philemon's wife, and Archippus was his son, Philemon's son. And then just uh, uh, also, Paul cc'd the entire Colossian church on this. So <laughs> it was not just a personal letter, he's going to write it to him. And, and here's... A, here's something that I, I realized in this is that the church as a whole needs letters like this, needs believers to respond like this, both the way Paul responded to Philemon and reached out to him, and to have believers who are um, have things that they haven't dealt with deal with them in an appropriate way so that we are all refreshed by and strengthened by the gospel's power to transform lives. So getting ahead of myself a little bit, recognizing his faithfulness, he says, I thank God always when I remember you because I hear of your love and of a faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus for all the saints. Paul led Philemon to Christ in Ephesus. He, he was very fond of him and he knew him and he appreciated him, and there was no question in Paul's mind that Philemon was a believer. Even as John writes in 3 John 4, he says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. And Philemon lived in such a way that brought joy and refreshment to Paul. In verse six, he says, I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. So this is has been my favorite verse in the book of Philemon for a long time but I, I have to admit that that was because when I first read it and it captured my mind and my heart I didn't fully understand the proper interpretation of this verse and I'll explain it says may the sharing of your faith be effective the sharing of faith I immediately took that to witnessing to proclaiming uh, telling other people the gospel um, and that in sharing our faith and witnessing to others that through evangelism my faith will grow and I will see more about Christ and that was my interpretation because that's also been my experience um, <clears throat> when I uh, I was raised in a Christian home and I was nice to see my parents are here today so if you haven't met them afterwards they'd love to say hi to you um, but my parents raised me in a Christian home and they both are involved in child evangelism fellowship and children's ministry. I was raised in Gnu's clubs and five day clubs. I went to uh, Sunday school and youth groups and everything that you could do in church. I went to a Christian school and my knowledge of God grew and grew and grew and I knew the Bible well. But where I failed was in actively sharing that with other people. And I remember the first time God pushed me, and I don't have time to go into my full story, but when God pushed me to speak and share the gospel, it changed everything. When I 
inadequately shared the gospel and I tell you uh, just briefly like all I did was if you haven't heard the Romans road of salvation I just opened my Bible and said would you read that verse what do you think that means and then I went to the next one would you read that verse what do you think that means and then I went to the next one and we went through the gospel that way that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and um, and and that um you know, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, the Lord Jesus, you will be saved. And I got to that verse, and I was like, is that what you want to do? And she said, yes. And I'm like, are you serious? <laughs> and she said, yes, and she prayed. And so I was like, well, just tell God. So she prayed the most beautiful prayer I'd ever heard, and I wish I had a smartphone to capture it back then, but I didn't. And, um, and with tears in her eyes, this 83-year-old Hindu woman converted to Christ because of the power of his word. And my faith jumped to levels I'd never experienced. I just saw Christ in his willingness to use a sinner like me to share this message, to transform somebody's heart. I saw the goodness of Christ that I'd never seen before in a way that was so meaningful and beautiful that it caused me to change the entire trajectory of my life. And I'm standing here today because of that specific moment. So I can proclaim the good things about Jesus Christ to others. but that's, although that's true, and I won't take away from the truth of that statement, that's not what this verse is saying. And so this verse is saying, the koinonia, I pray that your koinonia, the fellowship, the partnership in the gospel, which is, yes, sharing your faith, but it's the sharing in community. This, is, this, this phrase he's saying here is setting Philemon up to hear the message that he's about to give. When you allow the gospel to transform the way you look at your brothers and sisters in this room, that you see them uh, in love and embrace them for who they are, and you see them created in the image of God as valuable and that you want to share your life with, this transforms the way you treat people. So it's the one thing that allows you to see past the annoyance of someone and say, that's my brother and, or that's my sister. I love them. It's the, person, it's the thing that gets you past the different classes and the different wealth levels and the different ethnicities. It's like we are the family of Christ. And this is what part, this is koinonia fellowship, that we share life. I pray that when you realize that when you release your pride and your rights and other things and accept the body of Christ, the fellow believers in, and you partner with them for real, you are gonna know more about Christ and you're gonna see the beauty of Christ and you're gonna see the beauty of his, his, his faithful in ways that you've never seen before. And so be willing to do that. And uh, so genuine Christian fellowship properly lived out will lead us into understanding the goodness of Christ, the body of Christ, and the good things God has in plan for us. See, the thing is, is we don't realize what we're missing out on until we are obedient. I'll say that again. We don't understand what we're missing out on until we're obedient. See, our disobedience is often tied to the lie that God will not provide all my needs according to his riches and glory. I sin because I take things into my own hands and say, I can do this on my own. I don't trust that God's really gonna do that for me. But God says, be faithful and you will see. Be obedient and you will see the blessings of God. One of the big illustrations in my life was the issue of debt. 
in college, I was dumb, and I got credit cards, and I got in credit card debt, which led to more debt, which led to bigger student loan debt, which led to other debts. Then I was like, oh, I make a little bit more money than I had before, so I buy a car to heap debt upon debt upon debt, and I didn't realize how much that affected me because I was making just enough to pay my, my, my debt off, my uh, my monthly payments, and there were times that like, I would live paycheck to paycheck. There was times where I, I didn't know if I was gonna get enough. There's times I had to call mom and dad, say, can you help me out? Like, I was out of control until God convicted me, and through a lot of hard work and a lot of time, I got out of debt. And it was that last Sally Mae paycheck I sent in, all of a sudden, wait a second, this burden that was weighing me down was lifted and I didn't understand I didn't even know that weight was on me until it was gone and then it was just like wow you know how much easier you can sleep at night you know and it's not just that that issue there's other issues that we have that when we allow sin or disobedience to weigh us down we don't even know it until it's gone and so I implore you in faith to be obedient to find repentance and pursue truth. Now, repentance, again, is a change of mind and a change of heart that leads to a change of action. It's not to be penance where we mope and mourn and say, oh, look how terrible a sinner I was because I got debt. No, it is saying God's way. Like, there's a good news. There's a gospel message that God's way is better than my way, that Jesus has won the victory. He has done away with guilt and shame, that I can live in freedom and victory if I stop thinking the way I think, if I stop desiring the things I want to desire, and I stop doing those things, instead I think the way God has created me to think, that I'm renewed in my mind, as Romans 12, 2 calls us to, and I desire the things that God desires, and I walk in the way that God has called me to walk. And so, um, <clears throat> I'm getting a little off script here. Got to get back on. So, um, so then he appeals to Philemon, uh, and, and cause a, to, to be faithful in his blind spots. Philemon here doesn't see like his blind spots. So none of us see our blind spots, right? We need faithful brothers and sisters to come alongside us to encourage us in this. But he, Paul says this, he says, accordingly though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake I prefer to appeal to you, I, Paul, an old man and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus. Um, he's, he's, he's saying I could as an apostle I could just say this is the law do it this is the new Christian law do it but law is inadequate you might get someone to obey something by saying this is the law but it is through love and faith that transformation takes place what is far greater than to just say this is the law rather to have someone convinced that this is true and therefore it should change the way I live and so he's appealing to him not from position of power uh, but from love <clears throat> see because con conversion to Christ doesn't mean perfection but it begins a process and everyone who comes to Christ comes with cultural stains and baggage and it takes some for some of us a lifetime to work through those things and so uh, I'd like to just for a second read to you a brief sermon Paul gave in the Corinthians that is really um, what underpins this entire letter, that this letter 
is an application of this sermon. If you'd like to follow along, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, starting in verse 16. Paul says, From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God for our sake. He made him to be sin who knew no sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. Here Paul is laying out this beautiful picture of the gospel and these truths that change everything and change the way we perceive other people. But if anyone's in Christ, they are declared a new creation. Uh, This is different than what we're accustomed to in assembly line products. You start with a bunch of pieces and you slowly put them together. At the very end, it's a finished product. Here, God says, if you have faith in Christ and follow Christ, you are a new creation. Product declared. Process begins. That's called sanctification, but the Greek here is old things are passing away, amen? (laughs) I didn't wake up the day after I accepted Christ and said, I'm perfect. That doesn't happen. It's taken me a lot of time to wrestle and wrestle and wrestle, and I still wrestle, and I continue to wrestle. But here the thing is, behold, all things are becoming new. My salvation is secure in Christ. The declaration of my salvation is declared by Christ and preserved by Christ and held by Christ. I'm justified, sanctified, adopted, um, and received the inheritance of Christ. Yes and amen. Now I need to learn to live that out. (laughs) That's what he calls us to. That's the teachings of Christ that we go to and the kingdom principles that we learn to live into. And uh, and so this changes things. And then this ministry of reconciliation, he's like... uh, He's reminding them that we are to help people go from being far from God and enemies of God to being friends of God through Jesus Christ. In the church, we need to learn how to reconcile with other believers. How do we take someone who has something against somebody else and help them see how to live in harmony and forgive and receive forgiveness? You know, so we have, in, even in this room, we have those of you who are the Philemons who may have done things wrong you don't know that you've done wrong yet. Some of you might be the Onesimuses who knew you did something wrong and found repentance and are seeking restoration. And some of you might be the Pauls who are out there saying, God has given me wisdom through trial and through time with Christ that I can help other people mend fences. Like that, that, that we're all in that. We're somewhere in that, that um, situation. And so he, he's calling and so, Philemon, you may not realize that Roman law isn't adequate. God's called us to something greater. Uh, and so I want, when, because uh, not only did Paul write this letter on behalf of Onesimus, he sent this letter by Onesimus. Onesimus had to show up and say, hi Philemon, remember me? Can you read this before you say anything? <laughs> you know, so it's like, uh, what's happening here? He says, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus. Who became, who, whose father I became in my imprisonment. It's a term of endearment. Onesimus is now a believer. He's no longer just a runaway slave. 
Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed, indeed useful to you and to me. This is a play on words because Onesimus means useful. Um, in Roman culture, again going back to citizenship, there, if you bought into uh, Roman citizenship, you were only the status of how much you had. And if you had one child, they would inherit citizenship at your status. If you had two children, they would inherit citizenship at a lower status. And so, and then multiple children. So at, at points in time, there were unwanted children. And so every major city in Rome had a field of exposure that after a child was born that was unwanted, they would leave them in a field uh, to die, un, uncared for, unwanted. And uh, <clears throat> And there were people who would go through that field to rescue healthy babies or babies who were still alive, not for the purpose of caring for them and giving them a home or seeking adoption for them, but to train up professional slaves. So these are unwanted, abandoned, nobody cares about them. I'm gonna take them, I'm gonna train them to do some things, and I'm gonna sell them. And there's some speculation that Onesimus may in fact have been a dis guarded child that was taken from a, a field of exposure and given a simple name of he's useful if you're selling a slave and you put him on a block this guy's useful and maybe in fact that is Onesimus' story for there are many slaves in the Roman culture that were named Onesimus but you think about Onesimus who comes to Paul, having run away from a life of slavery, destitute, has nothing, um, and he hears this guy's talking about meaning, purpose, and value of life because there's a God who created you in his image who loves you and wants you to know him through his son, Jesus Christ, that he has, you were so valuable that his son was willing to leave heaven and, and live for you, to be perfect for you, to pay for your sin debt, so that if you follow him, you will be forgiven, redeemed, your shame is gone, your guilt is gone, it's in Christ. I mean, can you imagine? I can say yes, I can imagine, because at one point in time I had to recognize that I was a, a sinner destined for hell except for my Savior. But yes, to have someone speak meaning, purpose, and value, and to watch the transformation, you know, to whom um, those who who have come out of such extreme experiences, oftentimes you see the love of God and the sensitivity to God just exponentially and to see this, this desire. And so Paul is fond of Onesimus because he is uh, on fire for, for Christ and wants to do what's right. And then very likely Onesimus then said, hey, I ran away from Philemon. It's my obligation to go back. I don't think Paul said, Onesimus, you have to go back. But Paul, a Roman citizen, is writing a letter on behalf of Onesimus who wants to make restitution for the wrong that he did. And he goes back into that. Because the gospel transforms everything. I'm gonna jump ahead a little bit so we can wrap up. Um, and verse 15 says, for this perhaps is why he was parted for you for a while, that you might have him back forever, no longer a bondservant, but much more than a bondservant as a beloved brother, especially to me, but now much more to you, both in the flesh uh, in the Lord. Paul's not saying God caused Onesimus to run away. Uh, Paul's not saying that God is, uh, that what, he's not saying one thing's a sin and something else is a sin. It says God is active in our life 
And sometimes things that are meant for evil, God intends for good. What, Joseph said that, I think, right? So sometimes God is doing things that we can't see, and Paul's saying, Philemon, you might, have, might be upset that he ran away from you, but in running away, he found Christ, and now he's returning to you. But, but he's your brother. Remember koinonia, partnering, sharing your faith, that you need to welcome him in. Things are different now. You have to see your need to be obedient to the gospel, to Christ, in your relationship with him. For again, in the letter to the Colossians, Paul said this in verses 21, uh, chapter 1, 21, 23. And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind doing evil deeds, Jesus has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. So now things are, are different. And so Paul then says, let me give you an example of Christian partnership. If Onesimus has wronged you in any way, if he stole something from you or he owes you anything, charge that to my account. I'm gonna stand in his place. When you look at Onesimus, you should see me. I'm writing this with my own hand because he was old at the time and he didn't often times write his own letters, but he wrote this with his own hand to say, Onesimus is my son. See him as you would see me, which is a picture of Christ standing on our behalf before the Father. When we say, I believe in Christ, Jesus says, when you see him, you see me. Charge his sins to my account. And that's the, that's the beauty of the gospel. And uh, Paul writes this and acknowledges and believes Philemon is gonna live this out because he knows the gospel is alive in Philemon's heart. So when we look at life and we see our situations that there are things that people are doing that are consistent with our culture but not consistent with the Bible. We could take an activist tone or a political move and we could declare it one way that is law in a way that just says, I'm just gonna state these in such a way. Or we could learn to appeal to their heart through the gospel and say, how does the gospel change our perspective so that we see things the way God sees it, not the way culture sees it? One way is easier to say injustice is seen here and we can call that out, and it's a lot harder to come through the side door and help someone see their own injustices, to help the word of God expose what's going on in their heart and their minds. But that is a way that we're gonna win people to a deeper fellowship, to a deeper sharing of the faith. Um, there are times where we just have to say right is right, truth is truth, and there are times that we need to say how can I serve someone so well and communicate to them so well that they can see Christ and not me, not my agenda, not my perspective, but Christ and say, I am a prisoner of Christ, therefore I need to follow him. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much uh, for this story of conflict, of slavery of issues Lord I pray that we can consider Paul and Philemon and Onesimus as an illustration of our own lives and our own hearts Lord that we um, 
would see our own need for Christ. Lord, I pray if anyone here today can see a conflict or an issue going on in their heart or others, Lord, that you would help them seek reconciliation in a way that would bring you honor and glory. Uh, Lord, that those of us who are um, hurting and, and, uh, and need to um, forgive, Lord, that we could learn to do that. Lord, those of us who have, uh, have done wrong and now are seeking forgiveness, help us to be strong enough uh, to communicate that. Lord, those of us who can help others work through issues that we would be use words and, and, and illustrations that are seasoned with grace and with your word that you might be glorified. Lord, we, we pray that we would be a congregation of true koinonia fellowship, that we would see each other, love each other, serve each other so well, uh, Lord, that the world will see that we are your disciples. And so I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand as we sing our closing song.